Welcome to the podcast of the United Church of Bogota. We are a Bible-based church ministering to the English-speaking community in Bogota, Colombia. We invite you to join our diverse fellowship as we encounter God in worship and experience the impact of His grace on every part of our lives and in our world. To learn more, please visit our website at ucbogota.org. Romans chapter 11, we're looking at the first 10 verses together as we section of Romans. And, and, you know, you may have noticed each week, Paul seems to give us a new question. And this morning, he gives us another new question. Has God rejected the Jews? Has God rejected the Jews? Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Martin Luther and his answer to that question, but I need to preface it with this. You know that I like Martin Luther, right? You know that. You've heard me talk about him, okay? Martin Luther is so important to human history, so important to the Protestant Reformation. He's the reason many of us are even alive, and especially here at a church like this. He got salvation right. Namely, in a day when a lot of people got salvation wrong, Martin Luther said, hey, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, according to the scriptures alone. He changed world history. He got salvation right but he didn't get everything right. Um, actually, you know, he was, a, he was an intensely passionate man. You can, you can read his writings and you can see that the dude cared a lot about a lot. And he cared a lot about this question. Has God rejected the Jews? Actually, in the beginning of the Reformation, for about the first 20 years, Martin Luther was very pro-Jew. Um, he, his heart broke over how lost the Jews were in Europe and how they were refusing to embrace Jesus. And you see that come through. Actually, he got really angry with the way certain Christians were treating the Jewish community. And so uh, one, one uh, pastor cites his words in a pamphlet that Martin Luther wrote called, Jesus was born a Jew. All right, that's his starting argument. This is what he said to church leaders. Our fools, the popes, bishops, sophists, and monks, these coarse blockheads dealt with Jews in such a manner that any Christian should feel embarrassed. Indeed, had I been a Jew and had I seen such idiots and dunderheads expound Christianity, I should rather have become a hog than a Christian. I would advise and beg everybody to deal kindly with the Jews and to instruct them in the scriptures, in such a case we could expect them to come over to us. That's good. That's right. That's just. Only a few years later, after many failed attempts to actually reach the Jews and see them embrace Jesus, Martin Luther's heart turned bitter toward the Jews. This time in a pamphlet called Concerning the Jews and Their Lies, He called the Jews an insufferable, devilish burden. And he then went on to advise Christians and Christian leaders to burn down Jewish homes, to burn down Jewish synagogues, to cover them with dirt. He told rabbis that they should either shut up or die, and he said all Jewish wealth should be seized and young Jews should be enslaved under hard 
labor. And so it is no surprise that many debate today that Adolf Hitler heard Martin Luther's message loud and clear and acted accordingly. Luther rejected the Jews. You look back on Christian history and you will see time and time again that Christians have rejected the Jews. And it leads us to, to this question, has God rejected the Jews? Or to say it maybe a little more shockingly, is God an anti-Semite? Has God rejected the Jews? And if so, is that what we're supposed to do as Christians? Of course, the answer is a resounding no from the Apostle Paul in this passage. No, Paul says, we shouldn't reject the Jews because God has not rejected the Jews. Rather, God has preserved a remnant to be softened by His grace. So I want you to listen for that as I read. I'll invite you to stand. This is Romans chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. I ask then, did God reject His people? By no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject His people whom He foreknew. Do you not know what Scripture says in the passage about Elijah? how he appealed to God against Israel. Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left, and they're trying to kill me? And what was God's answer to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at this present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it can no longer be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. What then? What the people of Israel sought so earnestly, they did not obtain. The elect among them did, but the others were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that could not see and ears that could not hear to this very day. And David says, may their table become as a snare and trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs be forever bent. Please be seated. This is God's Word. Lord, thank You for Your Word. Um, we confess that uh, we belong to an ugly history when it comes to how Your people have been treated. And we would love just for a moment to experience hearts that look a lot like Your heart as You look with affection to your people. So help us to understand the complexities of this. Not only that, but would you fill our hearts with your affection and that we would leave here a people who are changed by your grace, softened by your grace. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So has God rejected the Jews? You heard Paul's answer. It's an emphatic, maybe even an indignant, no, no way. What kind of question is that? Um, and we would say, hey, Paul, take it easy. All right? It's not a crazy question. I mean, just look around at the New Testament church. What started the New Testament church, Paul? Well, it was, you know, the majority of the Jewish people of Jesus' day rejecting him and using the Romans as their pawns to crucify Jesus. And as the church has spread throughout the region, who is it that has resisted God's church? Well, it's the Jews, the ethnic people of Israel. And who is it that has been receptive to God's church? 
It's the nations. It's everybody else. It's the Gentiles. And so, Paul, we're not asking this question because we have something against the Jews. We're asking this question because we look around in our churches, in our communities, and we don't see a lot of Jewish people following Jesus. What do you say to that, Paul? And his first defense that God has not rejected the Jews is to start by saying, well, um, I'm a Jew. Verse 1, by no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. So what he just did there is he said, hey, you want to talk about Jewishness? There is nobody that is more Jewish than me. I can trace my, my roots back to Abraham himself, in fact, back to Benjamin who was Jacob's favorite son. So I am extra Jewish and I am a follower of Jesus Christ. He's not rejected his people because look at me. But he wants to say more than that. He doesn't want to just prove that he is the exception to the rule. And so he introduces us to a bigger rule at play. This is what we should call the remnant rule. What is the remnant rule? It's this, God always preserves for himself a remnant among his chosen people, the Jews. Even when it doesn't look like it, even when it looks like all of the Jews, all of Israel are rejecting God and God's Messiah, Jesus, God has preserved a remnant group, a group who are his and do not and will not reject him. It was happening in Paul's day. It's happening in our day. Paul says it's not a new thing. It's always been happening in the history of God's people. And that's where he looks back to 1 Kings chapter 19 and the prophet, of Eli- the prophet Elijah. Um, the, the, the scenery of 1 Kings 19 is this. So you, you remember the crazy scene where it's like Elijah versus the prophets of Baal and there's the fire and all the stuff. And, and Elijah wins and he defeats all the prophets of Baal. Well, then things get bad, and Ahab comes after him with his chariots, and Elijah, you marathon runners will be happy to know, Elijah has to run 18 miles to get away from them, and he does it, which is impressive. (laughs) 18 miles, he gets to his destination, he's tired, he's scared, and then he hears that Jezebel wants to kill him. And so he cries out to God, and God answers him through a series of supernatural events, a mighty wind, a landslide, an earthquake, fire, and then God answers Elijah in a whisper. This is verse uh, 3 and 4. Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left and they're trying to kill me? God whispers his answer back to Elijah. I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Elijah, you're not alone. I've not rejected my people. I have a remnant of 7,000. Seven, by the way, if you're wondering, is a special number in the Bible. It's a number of fullness. It's a complete number. God's saying, hey, my remnant is as full as my remnant is supposed to be. But the word 7,000 is a little... um, misleading, I would say, to our 21st century ears, because if you read this in the Greek, or it even says it in the ESV translation that you may have, it says 7,000 men. 7,000 men 
meaning in all likelihood those 7,000 men plus all of the family that they happen to represent. So multiply that number by the average size of a family in those days, four to eight people, and we're talking a remnant that numbers about 28,000 to 56,000 people. Those people had not and would not bow the knee to Baal and reject God. What's the point of all that? God doesn't have to show us everything that He is doing. He doesn't. And that's actually really good news because because you may be thinking about the people in your life, Jewish or not, who don't know Jesus, and you may have given up hope saying, oh, God, I'm, like this world is going to hell in a handbasket because people are rejecting God. And I would just say, you and I can't see it. Even today, even this week, I was surprised to see on Facebook to see that girl from my high school talking about her love for Jesus. I was like, wow, really? Yes, we don't see it. We can't see what God is up to. True Israel seemed very small to Elijah. True Israel probably seemed very small to Paul too. He may have felt like he was alone, but God knows exactly who belonged to the remnant. And I'm guessing it is much, much bigger than we expect and we can observe. God does not reject his people. In fact, he has loved his people from before the foundation of the world itself. Verse 2 says that. That's actually what the word foreknown means in verse 2. It doesn't mean that God looked through history and was like, oh, those people are going to be awesome. I'm going to choose them for my team. No, 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 no. God has given them His special covenant love from way before they were born, way before time existed. He set His affection on these people these people he's not going to reject, and that we should not reject either. Application. This means that there should be absolutely no place in the Christian life for, dim- for discrimination against the Jews. None. It can't happen. Um, I, I'm going to go off script for just a second here and say that when I watch the news or when I listen to Christians, Christians do some really weird things when it comes to the nation of Israel. And we may, have, we, we may be able to talk about this in a few weeks because actually there's this mysterious final salvation of the nation of Israel that we don't understand and neither does Paul. He calls it a mystery. But let me say it this way. Sometimes Christians feel an allegiance to the nation of Israel and therefore they turn a blind eye to the injustices that Israel is committing against Palestine, and we can't do that. Loving the Jews doesn't mean turning a blind eye to justice. And of course, vice versa, we shouldn't, whatever your political persuasion is, turn a blind eye to injustices committed against the nation of Israel. We can't do that stuff. In its simplest form, Christian ethics is this. We love what God loves, we hate what God hates. God loves the Jews. Do we love the Jews? Or is there hatred in our heart? Do we think we're probably better than them? In the 1920s, there was a British journalist who was also a prominent communist in the UK. And he was once in a public setting pontificating about the Jews, and he said this, how odd of God to choose 
the Jews. What he was saying is like, why would God choose a people like that? Well, he got a reply, a poetic reply from another Englishman. How odd of God to choose the Jews, but not so odd as those who choose a Jewish God but spurn the Jews. In other words, you cannot love God and hate the Jews. We cannot hate what God loves, and we cannot love what God hates, which is elitism and thinking that we are better than they are, whoever they are. We love what God loves, and we hate what God hates. The remnant is proof that God loves the Jews. It was true in Paul's day. It's true in our day. Some of you are living proof because I know your story. Some of you have Jewish blood running through your veins, and yet you are a radical, devoted follower of Jesus. It is beautiful. And you may wonder, why is it that the rest of my family is lost? Why am I so alone in this? And I wonder that too with you. And I just want to say, maybe God is going to surprise us when he brings in Jews from all over the world and introduces them to Jesus. Paul says, so too, at the present time, there's a remnant chosen by grace. God hasn't rejected the Jews, so we don't reject the Jews either. Has God rejected the Jews? No, he's preserving them. He's preserving a remnant to be softened by his grace. You heard grace mentioned in verses 5 and 6. Here it is in context. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. What is grace? It's when we get what we don't deserve. Grace is God's unmerited kindness, His undeserved favor, And these people have gotten it since before time itself began. This is the mystery of God's electing grace. We've been talking about this ever since Romans chapter 8. Baxley reminded me uh, of something when he preached five or six weeks ago. Um, He was talking about the, the, uh, the biggest fear of every middle school person, right? And it's to be there as the dodgeball game begins and to see the captain stand up and survey potential recruits and to think to yourself, am I going to be chosen last? Because you know how this works. Like you're choosing your team. Often you're going to choose the biggest, most athletic looking kid. I choose you. And then you're going to go to the next one. You, you, you. Who's left is maybe the scrawny, unathletic kid. Um, when I was the youth pastor of this church, by the way, I did it differently with dodgeball. Um, I just straight up discriminated based on passport. And so if you had a passport that showed me that you grew up around a baseball culture, I was going to choose you. I don't care how you look or how big or athletic you seem because you play ball in your country with your hands and not with your feet. That's who I wanted on my team, people that could hurl the ball, right? So regardless, you get the point, right? The best were chosen first, the worst were chosen last. Israel gets chosen last if we're choosing a dodgeball team. Um, they're small, 
they're insignificant. Without God, they're absolute nobodies in the ancient world, but God chose them. Why? Deuteronomy 7, 7 to 8 says, The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than the other peoples, for you were the fewest of all the peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and he redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Why did God choose Israel? We don't know, but all we can say is that it was all of grace. Why did he choose you if you're sitting this morning as a follower of Jesus? Why? Why did he choose you? We don't know. It was all of grace. Why did he choose me? I don't know. Honestly, if I look at my heart and the yuck that I find inside my heart, there's nothing in here that would attract a God like that to come and choose a person like me. But he did, and I'm really, really thankful for it because I stand before you as a beloved son of the infinite personal God of the universe. That's beautiful, isn't it? It is all of grace, which means it was none of works. That is a big point that Paul wants to make for us. Because we're asking this question, hey, has God rejected the Jews? The answer is no, but then the logical follow-up question is, well, why don't they believe? And the answer is works. Human effort. That's how they wanted to impress God. They wanted to prove that they were good enough to deserve God's affection. And this is why Jesus was so appalling to the Jews of his day. He said a lot of hard things to them. But one of the things he said is, hey, you can't save yourself through obedience to the law. In fact, if you're going to be saved, I'm going to do it. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. Anybody that gets to the Father comes through me. He's talking about grace. And and they hated that. They were hardened against that idea, the idea of grace, getting something that you don't deserve for free. That is not just a Jewish instinct. That's a human instinct, let me tell you. You and I, it is our instinct to want to deserve the things that we get. This idea of getting what we don't deserve, that is unnatural. My best friend is a campus minister at uh, NYU up in New York City, and every year at the beginning of the semester, um, he and his uh, interns, they set up a booth outside the student center, and they give away free stuff, okay? Uh, They give away free stuff to students that are passing by. If this were to happen in my university, you know, in like the rural south of the United States, probably given out like Diet Mountain Dew and maybe some ramen noodles or something like that. At NYU, it's not like that. Instead, they're giving out canned cold brew coffees and some fancy vegan granola bar. Um, that's, that's New York. That sounds about right. Um, my friend says, look, giving somebody in New York, especially New York, something for free is countercultural. This is what he writes. Almost none of the students at NYU expect Christians to be kind or generous. So as students walk by our table, I usually have to tell them two or three times, no, it's really free. We're happy to give you something nice on a stressful day. Grab what you need and keep going to your class. 
And they will literally turn 180 degrees around and raise an eyebrow at me and say, really? And when I say yes, they grab something and they go. And then a day or two later, they'll come back by our table again to get another free thing and we'll get to chat. Why will we get to chat? Because grace leaves its mark on people. Grace leaves its mark. We, we feel weird about this idea of getting something free that we, don't, that we don't deserve. We feel like maybe there should be strings attached, or maybe like you're insulting me. What, you think I'm a charity case? You think I need your help? No, 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 no. I, anything I get, I pay for it. I work hard for it. I deserve it. I don't need your free gift. Paul would say, oh, yeah? Verse 7, what the people of Israel sought so earnestly, they did not obtain. The elect among them did, but the others were hardened. What he's saying is God doesn't help those who help themselves. Actually, God helps those who can't possibly help themselves. But God does harden those who harden themselves. But grace, well, grace leaves a mark. And grace softens hard hearts. And when you can actually see it, that God is offering you something that you couldn't possibly get for yourself otherwise, well, then your heart starts to soften and it starts to melt. And you think, oh, oh, wow, this is really good news. That's what happened to the Apostle Paul. That's the other reason he cites himself as an example. I didn't want grace. Well, God jumped me as I'm walking down the road, and He wrestled me into submission, and He gave me what I didn't deserve, the thing I didn't even want, which is the layered beauty of this passage, and maybe an encouragement to you as you look around, perhaps at your Jewish friends, or just perhaps at your lost friends and family, and you see a heart that is hard, and you think, will they ever surrender to God? The answer is that a heart that is hard doesn't have to stay hard. God loves to soften hard hearts with His grace. And so what do we do? Well, we love all kinds of people from all kinds of places. And we share the love of Jesus with all kinds of people from all kinds of places. And we pray desperately for all kinds of people from all kinds of places to surrender their lives to Jesus. Why? Because who knows what God is doing? Who knows who he's planning to save, the hard heart he's planning to, soft, to soften, to melt with his grace? One of my favorite pastors told this story to his church. It's not really a story. It's more a study um, it, it was presented actually as a math competition to these top-notch math students. Um, these were people that had scored the highest in that area uh, on the math portion of the SAT. Well, they all come in for this competition, not knowing that it was actually a psychological study meant to show the impact that you, your father's relationship with you has on your approval. So they're doing the test. It's all on a computer there. They're halfway into the test. Everybody's watching the results. And as expected, these unbelievable students are excelling at this math test. And then all of a sudden, a picture of their father flashes up on the screen. But it was subliminal. 
So their eyes didn't see it, but their brain saw it. And guess what happened? Every student in the room that had a good relationship with their father continued to excel and nailed the test. Every single student in the room that had a caustic relationship with their father had a relationship with their father where they had to scratch and claw for any sort of approval or affection. From that point on, they started to bomb the test. Why is that? It's because grace leaves its mark. Look, when someone loves you with a no-strings-attached kind of love, when someone loves you and says, I love you and I'll never stop loving you and I will love you no matter what, it changes you. It totally changes you. It frees you. But when you have to work for love, when you have to perform for love, you will live like a slave and you will live a miserable, joyless person. God's love is not based on our performance. It's based on Christ's performance given to us freely. It's based on Christ's obedience. It's based on Christ's death on the cross for us. God has not rejected the Jews. And listen, you and I do not reject the Jews either. Instead, what we want for them, what we pray for for them, is that they would finally experience the freedom of living life under God's affection, under God's smile. We want for them to finally feel the joy of obedience because they are loved, not to be loved. We want them to know what you and I know, that Jesus is a good Messiah, that Jesus is the way to the Father, that Jesus is how we experience peace and freedom from our God. Let's pray. Lord, we're asking you to fill our hearts with the gospel in all of its beauty, and all of its warmth, and that it would overflow, that it would spill into other people's lives, that it would change not just the way we live, that it would change the way we love, that it would change the way we speak with people, that people would be pointed to Jesus and would embrace Jesus. We pray this for our Gentile friends. We pray this for our Jewish friends. We pray this for all of the people that you would have around us, Lord, that they would see us and therefore see Jesus and fall head over heels in love with the God who loves them. Please do this. Please do this through people like us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I'll invite you to go ahead and stand and uh, respond. And... Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to support the ministry of UCB, please visit our website at ucbogota.org.